I want to talk about uh, remote togetherness. It's a Jim Tolman topic. Hey, I like Jim Tolman. <laughs> <laughs> Fun story. I was uh, listening to a podcast uh, this weekend, uh, and it was about artificial intelligence and how we are coming up to a dilemma of we want to be able to shape artificial intelligence in a certain way. Um, and uh, the person talking made um, a reference to like the the human genes. Uh, Millions of years ago, or hundreds thousands of years ago, um, we we have these genes that uh, shape in a certain way, and then uh, they want to survive, and they want to just you know keep on going. So they decide to create the, like the human brain and create humans in a certain way so that we uh, you know survive, and then they give us these uh, different uh, abilities, among them I know to see, to touch, to taste. Uh, so that we can, you know, consume, get hungry, consume food, it tastes good, uh, etc. And then we grow, we more and more humans are produced. And one of the things they give us is, you know, this um, you know, sexual reproduction, or they want us to just reproduce to be able to be more and more all the time. And uh, however, it, it reaches a point where we humans, um, you know, find ways to cheat on our genes by, uh, you know, reproducing, uh, not, not, you know, you reproducing even when, when it's not good, uh, or more than necessary, or even not reproducing. So we start using our sexual, uh, organs in a way to not reproduce. Um, you know, we protect ourselves and we're just cheating what was intended to be done or what was created at, at the start. And uh, it was all about how we, re we will reach points in uh, artificial intelligence where we create systems in a certain way. But if we create, you know, open or general AI, uh, it, will, it will find ways of uh, working outside of the scope that we have created. And it was all about, the conversation was all about Mm. will general AI get out of hand? And if such, would it be something good or would it be something bad? Do you have any the, thoughts? The, the first part of the reasoning, is it about uh, that we are sort of in the end of human evolution? No, it's more about that we are, so we, we have advanced so much that we are able to challenge the way we were created. Um, because we, we, we have reached a level of reasoning and a level of, uh, you know, assimilation that we are able to just use our bodies and our way we, we, we grow, uh, not how the first genes or how, how we were created to do. <clears throat> so we, we have this sexual reproduction initially to we have, build more humans. <laughs> we have challenged natural selection. <laughs> exactly. Or general artificial intelligence will reach a point that can do the same thing. We created with certain rules, but it's, you know, it can find ways to um, work outside of these rules or like we, we can't even understand what's going to happen uh, so that <clears throat> any framework that we create might be challenged at some point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and actually, we are already using 
like uh, many concepts from real genetics applied to the field of artificial intelligence. For example, this morning uh, when I was reading Janneke's thesis, actually, uh, and she was using a genetic algorithm to... Who is Janneke? <laughs> Janneke Vollebrecht, the thesis student in the Smart Factory Lab that has conducted thesis work about optimization of the balancing process. And in her experiments, she used a genetic algorithm to try and, uh, as a meta heuristic, to try and find the uh, optimal solution or an optimal solution to this uh, balancing process. And then, uh, yeah, when I was reading about this genetic algorithm, how it tries to imitate how genetics work in nature. So basically, you have uh, chromosomes, and each chromosome is a possible solution. And then you have three different ways of uh, passing those chromosomes to the next generations. So basically the, the algorithm works in an iterative form in several generations. And then each generation, you bring some of the chromosomes to the next generation. And these chromosomes are, each, each one is a solution to your problem. And then you have like three different ways uh, that those chromosomes can pass and trying to imitate uh, nature. So you have the first one, which is uh, the strongest ones, uh, basically survive or going to the next generation uh, are inherited. Then you have a, a small percentage of mutations. So use new solutions that appear completely random. And then you have a, a congenital or reproductive uh, selection where you pair two random uh, chromosomes and then you interchange some of their solutions uh, in a, like trying to uh, imitate a reproductive act. And then the next generation will have this new assortment of chromosomes, and then you apply that in successive generations. Uh, each one just having several different solutions, and then you evaluate those each generation. And yeah, it was quite interesting that way of trying to find an optimal solution and imitating nature. And is, uh, is Janneke introduced, introducing that? Yeah, she has used that uh, in her uh, solution. But is it a, a, a thing? Like, did she... No, no, uh, this already existed, this genetic, it's called the genetic algorithms. Mm. It, it is indeed interesting and I would say not surprising because we, like, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence. What's today the most popular way of working with artificial intelligence is like deep learning or machine learning applied in a certain way called deep learning. Um, and this is emulating, this is basically neural networks, uh, is another name for it. And it's about uh, emulating the way our neurons work in our brain to, you know, to achieve a result. So basically what you're doing is, uh, so you have a sample of things uh, that you have taught uh, your, your machine learning algorithm. Uh, for example, you give it, if you're recognizing some images, you give it... Uh, 100 pictures of Juan, 100 pictures of Jim, and 100 pictures of Jose. And then what this, uh, the algorithms behind uh, this neural network, what they do is they identify certain characteristics in the face. For example, it can be initially, you know, uh, certain angles of your, of your uh, chin or different parts of your face. And this could be done in the first layer in the first neuron. Then once you have uh, detected this type of angularities, then you can look for a bit larger areas, for example, and then it checks that, oh, maybe this angle is, is characteristic of an eye. And then it's, it, this is the second layer, the second neuron. And then the third could be, 
is it the right eye or the left eye uh, combined with more angles that you have found and then uh, you can identify what person it is of the three so now if i give my neural network a new picture uh, of jim juan or jose it can identify which of us it is uh, with a certain probability or a certain you know uh, reliability and uh, this is how our brain works so uh, you or it's this is how it's thought that our brain works you uh, the only thing is that it happens so fast that you don't even think that you're thinking on this way but when you look at a at a tv uh, what you see is for example a square shape and uh, that has certain uh, things that your brain immediately identifies with tv so even if it's interesting to or not even it it's very interesting to know that Janneke has been working with this but it is kind of uh, not so surprising that we use nature to to technology yeah and uh, then your initial question yeah uh, also reminded me of, of this and yeah in the same way that uh, in nature we have surpassed natural selection if artificial intelligence and what we program will also be able to do the same mm-hmm. I think it's very, very interesting. And there's like, of course, believers of doom that think that we need to immediately start thinking about artificial intelligence and so on. And then there's people that say, until we reach this point, we will have plenty of time to understand much more and much better what we're doing. And uh, and there's others that no, even say... Among the, among the people who are uh, a little bit scared... Uh, until his death, uh, Stephen Hawking said that uh, AI would potentially be the end of uh, human life as we know it. And uh, Elon Musk says that we might be unleashing the demon with uh, artificial intelligence, general artificial intelligence. Um, uh, but I think uh, the approach of the latter is that... Um, it would be very good if we can sort of integrate uh, towards a general artificial intelligence, uh, sort of enhance our brain uh, and become a new type of human at some point. So it is not uh, us versus them, but it is just the next step in uh, evolution. Ooh, you want to upload your brain into a computer, Jim, and live forever? <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> That uh, will be already possible in 2042. Um, nice. You heard so it uh, here first. <laughs> 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 yeah, this is uh, Ray Kurzweil. Uh, he, he thinks that in that year uh, that we will have like singularity. And uh, he also predicted the first time that the humans uh, were beaten in chess by a robot. And uh, he predicted when the human genome would be sequenced uh, yeah, years and years and years before that happened. Um, so he has sort of a track record of having a good uh, hunch. <laughs> but of course, you cannot... Uh, well, how do you say? Making predictions is very hard, especially if it concerns the future. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's cool to have, um, you know, a stronger, faster body. It's. I feel like it's much cooler if you can just live inside your brain and you need to never, you know, you can do whatever you want. 
it's nice. Uh, wouldn't it be nice to breathe underwater? Uh, you know, to run yeah, but, very fast. But, yeah, uh, yes, it would be it would be better. But you can do that if if you can live inside your brain. Like I mean, you or if your brain is like a simulation where you can do anything you want, and uh, and you you have full sensory input inside there, even increased, enhanced. I don't know. So you're seriously saying that you would rather live inside of a matrix-like simulation <laughs> than enhance your body? If I don't uh, notice, I mean, if it's exactly the same as reality, why not? I can live forever. I don't know. It's very difficult to choose, actually. Both are appealing. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I guess it will be very weird to live in a simulation. Like, who's running the simulation? And uh, can they program who's rich and who's poor? Um, I guess there will be people running the simulation and people living in the real world. world. Or, or, I don't know, or even a robot runs the simulation. You're scared, Jim. I'm I'm scared, yes. (laughs) Maybe we are already living a simulation. <laughs> but but imagine, ponder upon this. <laughs> what if uh, we reach a point in which all our brains are, you know, uploaded to the cloud? So we don't think anymore inside our bodies. Everything is uh, going up and down through air. Um, do we even need to live in our bodies anymore? Will, will our world become a small com- uh, computer? Yes, I was thinking of uh, potentially if we could make another spaceship and put all the computers on there with all the brains inside of that and solar panels and just drift into space. Like it's no need to have a whole uh, Earth uh, then, spaceship Earth. We can have another spaceship (laughs) to be on. I mean, for safety, you want to have your brains in many places at the same time. <laughs> so that in, in case any of your hardware crashes, you are, you're still up and running. Yeah, for safety, we keep it all in one place on Earth now. Yeah, exactly. Just make clones of your consciousness. Mm. Ooh, but then who is the real you? <laughs> Oi! I actually played played a game uh, some years ago that uh, that dealt with this concept. So basically, during the game, uh, you find out that they just made a brain scanner of a person many years ago, and then now that brain brain scanner is basically like an AI of that person has been uploaded into a mechanical body. And then at some points in the game, you have to retransfer that consciousness to another body. Uh, and then and in the end of the game, it's revealed that it's not like that you're transferring it, it's that you're making a copy of it. And then uh, you really get a shock of who is the real one. Like there is a discontinuation there that the original, the ego person uh, keeps continues playing in, the, in one of the bodies and then the other body is another copy of yourself. And then, and then it's like this very trippy sensation of uh, am I the, the real one? Or uh, have I been like uh, ex- existing continuously, or am I the one, the copy that you just started uh, at that point? Yeah, there's actually something that I have had 
a lot of thoughts about, and I haven't played this game, but it's like, <laughs> exactly, if, you, if they make a copy of you at some point, is this copy you, like, as a continuous, or is it a new thing that just has think exactly like you, and you disappear? Like, it's like this, nothing, do you become nothingness um, in that moment? And it's just... Um, yeah, exactly. Um, it's uh, also a popular theory for uh, tele... Teleportation. Teleporters. Uh, that uh, it's unlikely that uh, the molecules of somebody are teleported from one place to another. So more likely is to uh, deconstruct a body, send over the consciousness, and construct it again. Uh, so every time you go into a teleporter, your body dies uh yeah but but that that's not so scary if if you ensure that your mind is the same like i don't mind if my body dies if i get exactly the same one the 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 thing that is scary is like the moment the first the first time in history that we will be able to put you know a human brain into a computer will that brain be the exact Exactly. Will it be the, a new one, or will it be the like a copy of the old one, or will it be a continuous one? Yeah, exactly. So is, it, is it that you you die on a moment, so you cease existing, and then it's a copy? Oh, it's actually like a scary thought. And even if if, if with a teleporter, if if your mind also gets erased, let's say, of your brain gets deleted and then copied somewhere else, so there's actually a discontinuation there. So you you die, you cease existing for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but maybe maybe the idea is that the the mind is already in the cloud, and then it's that one is a continuous, and it just moves from one place to the other. You, the, your hardware, which is your body, is uh, not important anymore. But uh, maybe we can go a little bit more down to earth and go into remote <laughs> togetherness. <laughs> yeah, uh, a topic about uh, we are working from home. But even before Corona, we are working at production and logistics where there is uh, production facilities in a lot of different places in uh, the Netherlands and in France and in Sedatelia and in Brazil and in Argentina and uh, and in more places uh, like knockdown factories are in a lot of other places. But um, all those facilities are filled with engineers and uh, a lot of other employees that uh, are doing their own thing. Um, and then they have to collaborate with some people abroad sometimes. And um, oftentimes uh, when we want two people to work together, two groups to work together, uh, it's sort of common to say, oh, they should sit in the same office more often. Like, oh, business and IT don't work together well. Let's put them together in the same uh, office. And of course, that is a solution. But uh, wouldn't it be interesting if there's also other solutions to this by using technology to create some sort of a remote togetherness? So what are the factors that affect what is different when you meet a person that is not the same when you uh, do it on the internet? I mean, I guess there's obvious things, like you, you get to touch that person, 
the smell that person <laughs> you know the, the senses that don't go through the, the online um, no. so, but is that everything because you know as, as i told you or for example the other day i was talking with uh, two colleagues from brazil uh, and then we were saying hey we need to the day we meet we really need to go out for uh, yeah. a beer or something and, and this mm -hmm. is something like I get the feeling that when I see them, I have been working with them a long time remotely. When I see them, you really want to, you know, do something in real life. You get a different feeling, and it's, and I don't think it's just about these senses that you cannot feel through the through the. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I think one aspect of it is uh, indeed your when you're there with your body, uh, then you can walk around, you can uh, manipulate stuff. Yeah, if you're working in the same office, for example, you are sometimes in meetings with each other, but you're also at the coffee machine having a little chat, or you're just working and you think of something and you say, hey, Juan, uh, what happened with this or that? And um, that is less if you are uh, not in the same office nor not in the same environment. So even though you can create a scenario in which you can see and hear each other, um it's not that you can always just grab uh each other although maybe you could you could uh replicate that a little bit by having really a culture where it's very normal to um call somebody up via teams and uh, and have the camera on immediately and uh just quickly discuss something and then uh continue again uh or even have uh, places where uh, there's an always-on uh, video stream. Like, you know, you had Google Hangouts where the idea was uh, there's a space online and you can always log in and there can be people online. And um, or a little bit like Discord has that the same uh, interface. Um, so I think that's an aspect. But uh, of course, it's not the same to uh, really grab a beer together and um, or, or have uh, dinner together. And uh, does, does it's it affect, hard to say. Do you think it affects uh, when you are on uh, on the camera uh, through Teams, for example, and you only see the face of the other person or almost only the face? Like, is it a thing that you? Like, I feel like uh, if you could see the whole body, also the interaction is a bit easier. Uh, and, and on top of that, uh, maybe this even brings us at some point into the realm of, you know, uh, virtual reality in a way, um, mm -hmm. where you can see the whole person and you can interact with the whole person and not just with a face. Mm -hmm. I agree with you there, Jose. And I was going to say that one of the other things missing is basically the, the physicality of... Uh, like when uh, a person, when we talk in the real world, usually we move our hands, we move in certain ways, and all the physicality is really missing. Even when you have the camera, you're only looking at a certain part of the body, and then we are usually sitting, so we don't really move around or interact with each other that much because we are also staring at the screen. So, uh, and I think, and I have seen, for example, this virtual reality. Uh, programs like VR chat, I think uh, there is some, some other games where people are represented by avatars 
and and then the it's much more a sense of really having the other person close to you when they are represented by this three-dimensional uh, avatar where they can actually move around and, and you really feel like you are seeing another person in the same physical space that you are, even if it's not real. So do you say hands is very important? Yeah. Uh, because feet, I guess, are not... Uh, For some uh, people, they are. <laughs> no, I mean, what? Are you talking about the foot fetish? No. Um, <laughs> or people I that think... like to walk. No, I, yes, I was talking about the foot fetish, but sorry, continue. <laughs> In those VR uh, setups, you are only seeing the head and the arms, and then there's an estimation of where the torso of the person is, but uh, feet will not be simulated uh, in a good way, uh, unless you put uh, trackers on your, on your legs, but nobody's doing that for just a quick, uh, <laughs> a quick meeting in VR. <laughs> Um, if if you can, um, let's say you go to a bar with me and Juan, uh, when we have a beer, we chat a bit, we have fun, we go home. Then we say next week, uh, let's have a beer, each separate, like each in their own bar or in their own home. And we put a camera on looking at it. Like, <laughs> would you even do that? <laughs> uh, I, I hear I hear of people who are having a drink via uh, Teams, uh, and it, that it works. But I have never done that uh, with beer per se. Um, but I have sometimes with my friends in the Netherlands just uh, have Teams or any video thing open in the background, and then we play a game in the meantime. Meantime. And we don't even have to do the same thing, but it's just nice to have the audio stream open and you can talk uh, if you want. Um, but no, to answer the question, no, I've never done that uh, having a beer uh, over a video conferencing tool. No, I haven't done it either. But actually, during these corona times, uh, and my sister, who is now in Spain, that is, has... <laughs> many more restrictions than here in Sweden, so she cannot get together with her friends at all. She has done that in the afternoons. They get together via uh, Zoom or uh, for Skype or some other program, and then they have a drink. <laughs> it became also a thing of my friends in, in the peak of Corona to, oh, every, this Friday do something. And I don't know. I never was too motivated about it. I have to say, although... I think it was more to do with the fact that it was like 20 people in a call and it became like, for me, that's like too much noise. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you're in a group of 20 people in, in reality, you, you can still filter out like the small conversations separately. If you're in a Teams call, unless you go to different rooms or something like this, then it's like not possible to do it in mm -hmm. a good way. Yeah, that, that's another good point. Uh, when you are in bigger groups, in reality, you can modulate your voice to only talk to the person next to you, or you can uh, break out into different conversations without really splitting apart. Yeah, but that uh, I, I heard to people who in the Netherlands had a Discord party where there were a lot of different voice channels, and they were they were named living room, kitchen, uh, you know, hallway. And there was different music in the different rooms and you could just jump from one room to another or have a conversation with one person 
you know. Uh, so you had that possibility to go to different uh, rooms in different places. And uh, we tried this uh, with the Smart Factory Lab. We walked around in some sort of, uh, looked a little bit like Pokemon yeah. uh, world. From the top, you could go to different places. But uh, what was it called? I don't know. The town or something like that? Yeah. I yeah. think that that type of thing has potential. Uh, <laughs> if if they work more on making it, um, you know, fluid. Not does it say fluent? I don't know how you say it. Like when it's uh, continuous <laughs> and you don't feel like you're being disrupted all the time by mm-hmm. and you don't want to. Now this was uh, if you were walking away with your avatar, then you heard the other people softer and softer until you didn't hear them anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is sort of good in one uh, side, but when we were walking together, uh, it was uh, sometimes a little bit confusing. <laughs> well, uh, also, it's not like really something weird or very innovative. Like that type of technology has already been there yeah. for these online games and MMOs all the time. Imagine if there yeah. was like an MMO uh, RPG where you could just, I don't know, when, like the concept I like from that game is that when you cling close to someone, it showed their camera. So imagine yeah. something like that, but in a three-dimensional uh, game or online environment. That would be mm-hmm. cool, actually. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, indeed, many of those things are not new, but if they are translated from a game environment into a office environment, then it becomes something novel anyway. And Gamification. User, user interfaces. Like, even what is the difference between, you know, Snapchat and... Uh, WhatsApp, really, like, uh, uh, there is a lot of new stuff every time. And now the newest thing uh, is, ah, I forgot the name, some sort of podcasting app somehow, Uh, but it's only live uh, and it's not recorded. So you come together with a lot of people, you talk, uh, and then in the end... uh, it's not recorded, so it is just a one live, one-time session. Uh, the name of it will be in the show notes, and uh, I think that's a good end of the show. Mm-hmm.